I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Good. Oh, they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, are my BBOC fellow co-hosts, Mike Calabrese and Mike Randall. Mike and Mike, got a lot to get to today. Excuse me, we have a lot to get to today. We will talk the weekend card. We will add to our futures portfolio with our weekly futures roundtable. We will talk some of the marquee games. I mean, what a weekend. This first weekend without football, but we have, what, four top 10 matchups on the card? I mean, that's not even including some of the other. Uh, we got some good mid-major matchups. I mean, late night, Gonzaga, St. Mary's. Uh, it's one of the best college basketball weekend non-March cards of the week of the year so excited to talk some of those marquee games and we will start things off though with key takeaways rants anywhere you want to go with it let's throw it to calabrese first what do you got from the week that was any rants takeaways what do you got remember this is a safe space you know what pisses me off most of all okay you're ranting now baby yeah i'm ranting why not gotta let it out somehow uh quick takeaway I, I had a feeling that it was record setting the foul shot disparity between Purdue and Northwestern. And it was, it was the biggest disparity in free throws this century. It's been 25 years since it's been that lopsided. I like to see the passion from Chris Collins. I didn't know that you could, could get ejected after the game. That seems preferable. So you may as well blow your stack after a game. And I've always thought that the workplace across the country would be better if one time per year you could get ejected from work just screaming at somebody and then just come back the next day as though it never happened or do a quick presser and be like, yeah, I let my emotions get the best of me. I screamed at Janice from accounting. I'm back now. Um, In terms of actual play, that has me a little bit fired up as well. Wait, 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 by the way, before you you get into any play, in that game, there's someone who had Purdue, obviously, which was the, the incorrect call. Northwestern got them to overtime and lost. I don't know why, like, the best thing that happened to Northwestern in that game, first of all, was that they they couldn't miss a three again. They're shooting like 50% in conference play. But there was a million fouls on Purdue. Purdue missed 20 free throws. It was the best thing that happened to Northwestern. Any time down, it was either a dunk. Purdue was scoring at will against that defense. The only time they didn't score is – 
when they were missing free throws, they were missing front ends. I mean, that kept Northwestern in the game. Anyway, I, I digress. Go ahead. Guys, how about, how about Ethan Morton in that game? 20 minutes, no points, no shot attempts, no rebounds, no assists, no blocks, no steals. I mean, that's the hard 20, to do. The 20 trillion club. The 20 <laughs> yeah, right. trillion club. Unbelievable. Tony Snell special. But yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he did the, the 20 trillion club. Good, good book. If uh, you've never read it, but uh Gadge Calvary, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I actually I want to bring it back to what you brought up, I think multiple times now here on the pod stuck, and it's how officials are going to handle Edie, because you could call a foul on just about any possession where he's being defended hard just because they, they go so hard at him and the way that he uses his body and his length, everything kind of looks like content or con- contact, I should say. I'm a little bit worried about that in March Madness, not from a will Purdue make a deep run or not, but just how much say the officials have when the offense is running through ED. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was the AP poll right now has Marquette and Kansas both in the top 10, Marquette at eight, Kansas at nine, or maybe I have that flipped. Yuck. That's all I have to say about it. Like we all know what Marquette has and what they don't in terms of a personnel issues and the injuries that they've gone through, but to elevate them all the way back into the top 10 during this win streak, they beat Nova twice, yawn. They beat DePaul. They shouldn't even be in a major conference. Seton Hall was a nice win, and they win at St. John's by one. That's where we are with college basketball, where that's enough to just push you right back into the top ten. And then Kansas, like, have some balls, pollsters. Like, they're four and three in their last seven. Losses at UCF, West Virginia, and Iowa State. At the very least, Iowa State, in my opinion, should be ranked ahead of them. And I think now with McCullers' injury – and the potential to walk into a buzzsaw, they're going to be a home dog on Saturday against Houston. I think this is an opportunity to at least go out on a mini limb if you're voting in the AP and say Kansas is not a top 10 team. Because I think generally speaking, unless you're a Jayhawk grad, all of us agree that Kansas is not a top 10 team currently. Maybe things will change a little bit, but I feel like they're one bad game from Furphy away from losing to a good team like Houston by double digits. But that's where I want to get the, the pod started this week. Good stuff there. We'll talk Kansas Houston in just a minute. Randall, what do you uh what do you got from the week that was? Yeah, I got three things for you. First off, can we stop with the melts? I've had enough of the freaking melts that occurred. Okay. Let's just look at last night. Georgia and Mike White just sticking it to me as they always do. Bama comes Georgia all the way too. back, covers that. Was that. My rant, so thank oh, you for keep going. Sorry, <laughs> ridiculous. Wake Forest had that one as well. And then, of course, Pittsburgh, who couldn't hit a shot against North Carolina about a month ago, then catches on fire. They take care of business. And can we please stop with Virginia? I've had enough of Virginia. If I hear one more Virginia fan tell me Ryan Dunn is a lottery pick, guys, the only lottery he's going to is at the 7-Eleven, okay? Yes, he's long. Yes, he's athletic. He is anemic on offense. Can't shoot. Not good from the free throw line. And last night, just a brutal performance against Notre Dame. Yes, I'm ticked off, stuck because they should have covered the 12 and a half, but they threw the pass away, and then they fouled Burton on a three. And then the other thing I want to talk about is North Carolina, guys. I mean, how about North Carolina? We've talked about this. I know you guys have talked about it as well. I have been, I wanted to fade them against Pittsburgh away. Pittsburgh shoots five for a hundred. They cover away there. Wanted to fade them against Clemson. They beat Clemson by 10. Want to fade them against North Carolina State, who's horrific on offense. Can't fade them there. Want to fade them away at Boston College. They fight their way to the cover in, in Connie Morg. Then I want to fade them against Florida State. Can't do it there. So you know what, Stuck? 
I jump off them on Georgia Tech because there is absolutely no reason why Georgia Tech should win that game. You want to look at metrics, you look at anything you want. The only argument you're going to give me is sleepy spot, and I'm not going to make a pick based on that. And what happens? Damon Stoudemire crying in the locker room, and North Carolina goes down. So I'm a little bitter because I missed the wedding, but I attended all the funerals. Yeah, well, let's raise the flag, the W flag up to the top of the flag post. Stuck was on it. Stuck was, he made sure, I thought we were going to go through the whole Monday episode and not get to one more fading of North Carolina, but you got to get credit where credit's due. You were there, and I i mean, you can you can sell it. It was beyond a sleepy spot. You had some more data points on why the Yellow Jackets were a live dog. Tell me, yeah. please, Stuck. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's, the North Carolina, the teams aren't going to keep shooting 24. It's not a team that, that takes away the three. The teams are shooting 24% in conference play. And, you know, you escaped that Florida State game. You had Duke on deck. They were just kind of slow on closeouts. They looked just disinterested to the, to start. Um, and they can – their guards, like, you can attack Cadeau. They have some defensive weaknesses. Um, he had 5,000 in the second half. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take too much credit for fading North Carolina because I lost uh, a lot more fading them before. Uh, maybe I should have martingaled uh, and I'd be even. <laughs> don't do that by the way but yeah alabama georgia was ridiculous I, I mean i'm like all right alabama can't shoot on the road georgia's up 15 to 16 the entire game uh they're up six with five to go alabama makes their last seven threes every free throw and pulls away and yeah uh the melts you gotta get every college basketball season you gotta go through a stretch where you're it's always the perfect storm you ideally you're like capping well, and then you're getting some breaks. But there's so much variance in college basketball. It's insane. And the markets are much more efficient now. So like the margins are smaller than they used to be. But you have not only like three-point shooting variance will, will trump anything. Like it doesn't matter how well you cap the game, how what closing line value you got. You go six for 28, you're going to lose. But then you have the late game variance too. I you know So the last two weeks I've had some shitty calls and shitty capping. But also I can't – it's – I can't buy a last a last second cover a shot to cover. Uh, like even Georgia coming down to shoot the three. No, I think I've had eleven straight that I've not got, or the other team has got. The only time my teams over the past two weeks, and this all evens out, but I, again, we're just ranting. The only time that I've had my teams make shots are dogs that force overtime when I don't want them to, and I'm like, I'm just looking like I had uh, Florida last night. I'm like, all right, we're good. Walter Clayton makes a three. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I got to sweat this over. Utah State uh, against Boise on Saturday. They take it the, uh, off a missed free throw, take it the distance force overtime. And when you're starving for wins, you're like, oh, my God, I got to sweat this dog in OT now. I'm done. Luckily, both held on for the cover. But sometimes it's like that. And you just uh, bitch a little bit, rant, and then move on. Uh, generally, all evens out. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's get to some of, uh, well, yeah, let's get some of the marquee games. Then we'll do futures roundtable, then get to the weekend. Mentioned Kansas Houston. Um, you know, obviously no lines are out right now. Ken Pop projects Houston as a what, five point favorite. It would probably be three to four. More likely, um, maybe even lower. I mean, these home dog spots are getting shaded heavily this year. Regardless, I think personally that so with Houston, you have to you have to move the ball, and you have to hit threes, and then you have to hit the defensive glass. Kansas is an elite defensive glass rebounding team, but they can compete there. My concern is McCuller. I. I think that he's he's extremely important in this matchup because number one, you need his shooting. Like in order to beat this, you know, the trapping style of Houston, you got to just swing the ball, move it, um, and you, you know you have to have secondary scoring. McCullough's shooting, like he'll have to hit some threes here, and then his defense too. Like Kansas, yes, they looked impressive against. Who cares, Oklahoma State? Talking about having a horrendous year, but you have. Houston, like the, my one problem with Houston is their offense can get very uh, it, droughty, for lack of a better word. It's, it, it just goes into extreme. They don't take great shots. They're extremely reliant on just their guards creating. Now, a lot of times that's just who cares, throw it up, and then their best offense is get the, get the offensive rebound. They're an elite offensive rebounding team. But they just they they ask their guards, you know, shed and crier to create and then just take tough they take tough shots, but they're tough shot makers. But in this game, if you don't have McCullough, McCullough is a very underrated uh, on ball defender. You can hunt, you know, Marco Jackson is lost out there. Johnny Furphy's not covering anybody. I mean, he's he's nice to have out there for this matchup because he's got to make some threes. But without McCullough's shooting and then, you know, his defense and there's the Kansas doesn't have depth. So, like, against a physical team like Houston, I worry about fouls, too. Um, and then oh, so Houston's not going to let you get out in transition. They're not going to let you work, work in the post. And that's really what Kansas wants to do. You know, they work through Dickinson a lot, and, they, and they're and they always an elite transition offense. So, uh, I think McCullers is – McCullers, his status is very important for this game. So, it's hard for me to make a call without knowing um, if he's going to play or not. So, I think he's super important for this particular matchup. Um, Cowboys, I'll throw it to you. Any quick thoughts on Kansas, Houston? Yeah, in general, if I can get four, I'm going to play the Cougs here. Evan Maya has a top 25 most impactful defenders list in the entire country. Guess how many Cougs are on that list? Four. Shed is number one in the country. Then uh, Javier Francis, number two. They're obviously the best defense. According to Ken Palm, they could be the best defense since 2019. Never. Texas Tech used them to get all the way to the title game or go back to 2015 Kentucky. They're in that that class, which is incredible. And they've been reliable on the road. They go to BYU. They hold them to 68. 
They held Texas to 65 in regulation on Monday. They beat Dayton by 14. I, I think that they just have a lot of impressive wins against teams that should be able to push them offensively. And my my take on it is McCullough is going to play, but he's going to be limited with that that bone bruise. And like when you get into some of the one-on-one matchups, is Furphy really going to shoot 50% in conference play, like from three-point range? Because he's done that since being added to the starting lineup. And I think that's really propping up. It's like a Potemkin village with this Kansas offense. Like, I think they're just about ready to fall off a cliff. And if they do, if they don't play at a high level offensively, since January 1st, they're ranked 65th in adjusted defensive efficiency by Torvik. I think that's a, a key indicator as well. Hopefully I get a better game out of Cryer. He's kind of been in a bit of a mini slump. It's been too much, you know, usage and shots coming out of shed. If he can, you know, ramp that down closer to 10 shots a game as opposed to 15 or 17, I think that's that's better for Houston. Brandon, any thoughts here? Yeah, the key is going to be Hunter Dickinson. Uh, sometimes you get good Hunter Dickinson, he can go for 20 and 20. And sometimes you get Hunter Dickinson who gets a little passive. Those bigs on Houston are going to be able to push him around. He has to step up and play well. It is very hard for me to lay if this ends up being four and a half or five. And I get it at four. I think, Mike, that's a key number because if it gets to four and a half or five, I know McCullough is limited and they don't have a lot of depth. But you realize Kansas really needs this game if they have any hope whatsoever of winning the Big 12. Because if they end up losing this game and they go to five and four, you're going to have Houston now at seven and two, Iowa State two losses, Texas Tech, TCU still lurking, Baylor. So, I mean, I think they are looking at this game. This is critical if they want to win the Big 12. They don't have a lot of depth, but like you said, Stuck, Houston can get a little you know, stagnant on offense and they can have these droughts. I think the key is McCullough if he's going to play. I think we need a big-time performance from Dickinson. If he struggles against the athletic bigs, it's going to be a problem. This is a tough spot here. But, guys, when's the last time we're going to fade Kansas getting four and a half at home? It's just a, such a questionable game. But it's going to be a great matchup. I lean Houston to win the game, but I want to see the number before I take a side. Yeah, well, Houston was just four and a half at Texas. Like, these home dog spots, they're priced so uh, – I mean, it's crazy the way that the price is here. So – I would, if I had a guess, um, this will probably be like two and a half. We'll see. Um, that's where these things are opening um, this year. So I wouldn't be shocked if Kansas opens to like plus two and a half at home. Kansas, this will be a game where you have one of the best home court advantages in college. And Houston is a team that we just talked about goes, you know, through droughts. We saw that against Texas, right? On the road, they were up about 11 at the half. They're also not a great free throw shooting team. So this will be an opportunity if the line is super low that, um, you know, if Kansas gets down eight to 10, um, good live betting opportunity because they can get back into, they'll get, you know, they'll have, there'll be runs in this game. And uh, when Houston is missing, even though they do a really good job preventing transition, Kansas can, will still get out and get some easy buckets in transition. They're just that good when they can run. So I can there'll be some like 10-0 Kansas runs in this game. Um, you know, if they get down, I'll be looking to bet them live. They're good, good live betting matchups. A lot of these big 12 matchups are. Let's go to the ACC. And we have one of the best rivalries in sports with Duke, North Carolina. This should be a good one. North Carolina sitting at the top of the league at nine and one, but Duke's at seven and two. They can tie him in the loss column here and would have uh, a leg up with a win at North Carolina and then 
they would host North Carolina in the finale. So if you sweep them, you just got to stay one back. They'd be in position to uh, really take the ACC regular season title. And Duke's up to upcoming schedules, Notre Dame at home, Boston College at home, Wake Forest at home. You know, that pretty manageable schedule coming up all the way up until they play North Carolina. I thought some tricky road spots, but um, Duke, Carolina, if I had to guess here what this line will be, Carolina minus uh, four and a half, um, four, maybe lower. Um, but Kempom projects us at six. North Carolina coming off of that loss against Georgia Tech. They're still running pretty well from, you know, th- with three-point defense. Uh, teams are still shooting an insane 26.8%. Um, that's not going to last forever, although North Carolina's perimeter defense is improved. When I look at this matchup, I- I'm looking – I mean, the Kempom projected total is 152. I would love to bet an under there. Um Last year when these two teams played, now obviously they're both different, but the, the scores were 62-57 and 63-57. And North Carolina wants to play fast. And, you know, Duke is kind of middle of the pack, but both of these teams do a really good job on the defensive glass, which is important, and they do a good job of preventing uh doing do they do excel in transition defense so i don't think there's going to be a lot of easy buckets up and down and this is like a huge game in the acc there's a lot of young players on both teams that both teams rely on so I, I, you could see some nerves and I, I think this game will start out super slow so um yeah i'm, I'm gonna be looking under if this opens a little bit too high but randall let me throw it to you first what are you seeing in duke unc yeah, if you were to ask me, if I could get one stat from you for this game to predict it, it would be Jeremy Roach. Roach was hurt for a little bit, came back, looked, re- played really well at Virginia Tech, and Duke has struggled at Virginia Tech. Went four or five from three-point range, 16 points. I think the bigs on North Carolina are going to match the bigs on Duke. I agree with you, Stuck. I think an under is a great play. But like you said, there's a lot of young players. It's just you know R.J. Davis is going to show up. You know R.J. Davis is playing at a first-team All-American level, can get to the basket. He's a great shooter. The guy I need to know is Roach. If Roach is going to play well. I think Duke hangs in the entire time here. I think that North Carolina waiting for some regression. We saw that happen in the last matchup, but Roach is the key because Davis is just a special player. He's going to be ready to go. Filipowski hasn't been great against other solid bigs. So there's Baycott, there's Ingram, there's a couple guys there. So I think the key is going to be the perimeter play. We need a big game from Proctor and a big game from Roach to keep it close. But if I if I don't think I'm getting that, the play is going to be North Carolina bounce back spot at home because Davis is otherworldly right now yeah he's amazing duke eighth percentile in transition opportunities allowed uh so they rarely let any teams get out in transition which is super important against north carolina who really just wants to get out and push whenever they have the opportunity to do so and i mean they're 86 percentile in transition um opportunities so and i both teams really can get after it on I mean, North Carolina specifically in the offensive glass, but I think Duke can compete there to prevent some second chance opportunities. There is some push and pull here with Duke is shooting like out, you know, 40, over 40% in league play and North Carolina opponents are shooting like 26%. What gives? Yeah. I do think that Jeremy Roach is not a 48% three point shooter. Um, 
So like some of the Dukes kind of shooting over their heads and then opponents are kind of not hitting open shots against North Carolina. I I think that there, there are some opportunities for Duke in pick and roll in the half court to kind of get Baycott in conflict. It's so I agree. It's a kind of a, a, ba- a bounce back spot for North Carolina, but I see some opportunities for Duke here. I just Baycott. What Baycott do you get is a question I asked before every North Carolina game. The I guess Georgia Tech, they're they're benching. He's sitting on this on the bench for eight minute stretches in the second half. Looks disinterested. You know, he obviously has his limitations, but you can get him moving. Uh, you know, with screens and get him switched off onto a, a, a smaller guard. So, but like, do you get like the angry Baycott that can dominate for stretches or the one that just goes away? That's, that's a big question. And that'll come March. Like what Baycott do you get will determine how far North Carolina goes. You know, RJ Davis is going to show up on a nightly basis and you just have to hope Cadeau keeps getting better. Uh, what are you seeing here, Calvary's? Yeah, I'm going to join you on the under. I think that's Duke's path to victory. You mentioned their tempo. They're 179th in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. That's a huge differential based on the way that North Carolina wants to play. All their advanced metrics in terms of transition opportunities allowed. I think that's the way that they're going to go. But if it does turn into a half-court battle, I think they're going to run into some really skilled bigs from North Carolina that I think are playing well together. I think that was the question of how Baycott and Ingram would, you know, mesh together. They've certainly answered that in, in a positive fashion. So if I were to play this, I think I'm going to pass on the side and just go with under. Yeah. I mentioned Duke eighth percentile in transition opportunities allowed North Carolina ninth percentile, 99th percentile in transition defense efficiency. So no, neither of these teams will give up e- easy baskets the other way. Um, and then I think that, both of these teams can also compete on the defensive glass to prevent easy second chance opportunities. So like it's going to be defensive rebound and then slow up the court. No easy buckets the other way, since both are so good at limiting teams in transition, which sets up, and then you might have some tight shooting, some nerves, um, which I think sets up for an under, but we'll talk about this more on the live show, BBOC live show, 10 30 AM Eastern uh, with myself, Greg Waddell, and both Mike and Mike, we will tweet out that link. It'll be on in the Action Network app and on YouTube. And one final game, Kentucky-Tennessee. So this game became much more interesting because both teams maybe got caught looking ahead a little bit. Tennessee loses at home to South Carolina. Shout out to South Carolina, by the way. Team is just – you got Studi back now, too. And they're, they're just tough. They're tough as nails. I didn't think they would be anywhere close to this good. But they've knocked off Kentucky – now, then they went at Tennessee. Not an easy thing to do. But yeah, real quick on, on South Carolina, yeah. stuck. Um, yeah. You know, they're seven and two straight up as an underdog now. I think it's time to give Lamont Paris the credit he deserves. Like even just the hire in general, I was bullish on because if Chattanooga makes one more shot, I think it was Malachi Smith missed at the buzzer against Illinois. They would have been one of those Cinderella teams a couple of years ago. I think his profile would have been a lot better, but shot quality has this team ranked top 50 in both offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency. I don't think it's, um, you know, just all pure luck that they are where they are at this point in the sec race. And I think a win like that validates that. I think everyone's very quick to jump to, Tennessee was looking ahead. Tennessee didn't take them seriously. Like South Carolina is doing the work and they have a really good coach in my opinion. So I think they deserve a little extra love. Yeah. They gr- they'll grind, they grind the game down, control the tempo um, and they will defend you. Um, so yeah, they're very well coached and it's uh, I, I think it's a, 
I think it's an NCAA tournament team. Um, Randall, you going to be fading South Carolina, Georgia. I'm going to honor our guy Mike White on Saturday. Yeah, uh, well, well, let's uh, let's hold off on South Carolina stuff because I may bring them up a little bit later in the pod. All right. Uh, so w- w- let me throw it to you then here. Tennessee, Kentucky. We will first of all. So and then Kentucky, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, they lost to Florida. Didn't foul up three. Dillingham missed a, a free throw late. They st- Kentucky still hasn't had a full roster this year, which you'll hear a lot. Wagner was out um, on Wednesday night. So we'll see if he can go. I think he, him for depth. I mean, you saw Dillingham has been dealing with it. Illness, he was battling cramps at the end, and you know you play an overtime game. I will say with Tennessee, there's a couple things that I I like the matchup for Kentucky in that Kentucky's pick and roll defense has been very bad. It's one of the reasons I bet Florida against them twice. But Tennessee, Rick Barnes has done it sometimes, but usually he's like flex motion type guy. Doesn't really run pick and roll. He's had a couple games where. He's done it heavier this year, but not a heavy pick-and-roll offense. So it's easier for Kentucky to defend. And I will say, this Tennessee defense has taken a major step back this year. It's still very good. So you would have, like, Phillips and Kamwa. You would have Jordan James, I do. Like, they were big inside. You just couldn't get anything. But now you're, like, connects at the three. Um, and the rest of the defense has, has really suffered. You know, like, Jordan Ganey's not a good defender either, and he's he gets run. So you have these guys that – you know, especially connect higher offensive ceiling, but their defensive metrics are are worse. And specifically in transition, Tennessee's transition defense last year, 99th percentile, this year, 18th. So you can get them in transition. And that's where, I mean, Kentucky is just so deadly. And Tennessee's half-court defense is still very good. They still have great defenders all over the place. It's not as good as it was last year. But Kentucky just has great individual all around offensive players. Now, Kentucky also has weaknesses on defense. Uh, Reeves plays no defense whatsoever. Um, so I, I think Wagner's status is important here for depth, for some on-ball defense. This game probably is going to be around a pick, uh, if I had to guess. Um, I'm going to be looking potentially at Kentucky in some form or fashion. I think it's a decent matchup for them. And this Kentucky, this Tennessee defense now has, has some holes that might not that most people might not realize yet, but Randall, let me throw it to you. What do you see Kentucky, Tennessee? Yeah, if this game is on a neutral court stock, I would really like Tennessee, which is why I think they're just built for a great tournament team. But for the same reason, Kentucky at home. Now, listen, Rick Barnes has had success. He won there in 2020. He won there in 2021. But their defense is not at that elite level, like you said. And that's what they're going to have to have here to win on the road. Tennessee on the road this year. Year played away Mississippi State lost played Georgia away that game was back and forth they pulled away at the end Vanderbilt even Vanderbilt made a run so they haven't been great on the road the defense has to be elite connect will have to have a big game it's just a lot of ass for a game at Kentucky in a game that Kentucky really has to be ready to go and have coming off the loss to Florida and two of their last three it's just a heavy ask but if this game was on a neutral site remember last year Tennessee played Duke and was fantastic against them in the tournament if this was on a neutral site I'd probably go Tennessee. I will say the Kentucky home court advantage is so overrated. Uh, it's it's good, but it's not like like Rupp is not a they the tickets down low. Like my, my I could I could tell you my in laws have like we're on this like they're we're you you didn't the UK we're like donors. They were like you have to be on this list, and and they're like number I don't know four million whatever. There's like people that are oil money that are like number one two. They, all these old people have all, all, all this old money has all the 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 seats down below. 
right? It's not like there's no, it's not all kids going crazy. So, it, you know, it's, it looks like a morgue at times. I, I, Kentucky, get it together, Rob. They got to let, they got to, for these huge games, f- fuck the donors. Just let, say, you know, first come, first serve. Uh, in, I think Arkansas did this. They, didn't they say, well, that's because no one's going to their games anymore. But Musselman against Kentucky, he said, everyone, once the game starts, everyone can come down from up top. That's what you need. You need the people up top. You need the true, real rowdy Kentucky fans. Anyway, uh, I just noticed that like against Florida, they couldn't put them away because and it just it, I was watching on TV. I'm like, this place is it's so so quiet sometimes. It's not true like rabid college kids all around down low near the basket at Rob, and it's like big and it's a big arena. It's not a, like your very intimate college home court advantage that you think of. Anyway, I digress. Uh, what are you seeing here, Calories? I mean, at this point, I trust Alden Connect since January 10th. He's averaging 32, six boards, one and a half stocks per game. But now that we're into February, we're only one month away from March, I can bring up how little I trust Rick Barnes, you know, when it comes to playing quality teams down the stretch. My brain just tells me automatically, like, fade him, regardless of what I'm seeing. Like, Ken Palm, number two in defense, I'm fading it. Like, Dalton Connect making every shot, I'm fading it. 26 trips to the NCAA tournament for Barnes, 12 first round exits. He's coached up 25 plus win teams in Knoxville. Like I can't even count at this. I think he's got six of them never made the elite eight. So in this spot, even though there's clear issues with Kentucky on the defensive glass, big Z is not the addition that they hoped he would be. And, you know, maybe they work him into the rotation more and he's more impactful on the glass, but we haven't seen it yet. Despite all those things, I'm probably going to take Kentucky in this game. And it really just comes down to Tennessee when the going gets tough against the absolute elites in the SEC and also in the country. I'm just going to give the benefit of the doubt to the the other quality coach and Coach Cal here. Yeah, Onyentu's come on defensively um, for Kentucky of late. But you can still bully them a bit, which is a, a little bit of my concern with Tennessee because Tennessee has some, some dudes down low. Um, you saw that with Samuel um, and Hangott and last night with Florida. Like they could be bullied a little bit on the post, in the post. So I worry about that a little bit, but I, th- I think Kentucky will pull this out. Anyway, good stuff there. We'll talk about all three games again on the live show uh, Saturday morning where we'll have actual lines uh, and updated injury info because though most of those games, we have uh, some key injuries to watch. So make sure you tune in there. But let's move on to our futures roundtable. One of my favorite segments each week so far we have st john's to make the final four kentucky to win the national title texas a&m to make the final four houston to win the big 12 they're their favorites now that's probably our best uh ticket so far value wise but i'm not upset with any of the tickets that we have it's time to add a fifth today let me slip a coin, see what we start with. Call it in the air in uh, honor of the Super Bowl. Uh, Calabrese, you call it. Heads or tails? Tails. It is tails. Would you like to receive or defer to Randall? I'd like to go first because I assume you guys are going to have the same pick again. So I want to get ahead of this and build up <laughs> a little of my own momentum. Um I'm going to go ahead with New Mexico to win the Mountain West Conference at three to one. They're a game and a half back with nine to play. And the reason why I like the Lobos here coming off a loss against Boise State is that Utah State, who's in first place right now, 
Here's four of their next five games. At San Diego State, home against Nevada, home against Boise, at Colorado State. I think there's a chance that they could split those two. And if that's the case, then I think, you know, you can make an argument that the Lobos or Boise have a puncher's chance to win this thing. And at three to one, I still love what they have in their starting lineup. They're 20th in Ken Palm, top 40 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They play with tempo. We know what they have at the pit. Boise State also has roadies against Colorado State and Utah State in the next 10 days. So there's two teams that they have to step over to get here. But I think the schedule ramps up in such a way that it's realistic that the Lobos could go ahead and come from behind, as I mentioned, with nine games left and win this conference. All right, going out west, credit to Boise State, impressive win in the pit, which is never easy to do, especially with the way that New Mexico is playing. Randall, with uh, Calabrese selecting to receive, you're now up. I mean, I don't know what else we have to see about South Carolina. South Carolina plus 2,500 to make the final four. They take care of business against uh, Kentucky. They take care of business against Tennessee. Now, I thought about picking them to win the SEC, but there's some tough games. Auburn away. They have Mississippi away. They have Texas A&M. But this team shows us everything that you would need. Great coach. He's put players together who've transferred, and they beat Tennessee with Michi Johnson having three points and going 0 of 3 from two-point range, basically 0 of 8 from the field here. This team is dangerous. The big man inside, Mack, who is the transfer from Wofford, does not get into foul trouble. They're disciplined. They're unselfish. I heard Paris after the game say, you know, they really are unselfish. They just hit the open man. Love this team. I've been impressed with what they've done. I was slow to get on them, but they control pace. They defend the three-pointer. Their offense and three-point shooting is getting there. Now, listen, they'll go as Michi Johnson goes, but they have beaten Kentucky by 17 at home and beat Tennessee away in a game that Michi Johnson was one of eight from the field. That's all I need to see, guys. South Carolina, again, I love the SEC. You talked about that a couple podcasts ago. I'm going with South Carolina plus 2,500 to make the Final Four. I'm buying yeah, Michi Johnson, who is the uh, Kentucky killer, uh, whenever he plays Kentucky, he goes absolutely off. I mean, against Missouri, he had no points. And I had Missouri, fortunately, had a decent number and pushed some and lost some others. But he got, he was just benched in that game. Like, they just were like, all right, you got to sit at the end of the game. Um, so, like, they've showed some good depth when he when he's off, being able to win. And, and you mentioned they're very comfortable in the half court. A lot of times in the tournament, these games slow down to a crawl, which – uh south Carolina will be more than comfortable operating in uh so i'm up i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with one i already bet myself um it's, it's the same price i think best out there is 25 to 1 i'm gonna go this is probably these are probably the, the ugliest uh options we've had all year we have south Carolina to make the final four new mexico at three to one to win the mountain west and we're going to go Colorado to make the final four 25 to one. I, you know, maybe you can wait. They play Utah this week. Maybe you can, if they lose that game, you can get a slightly better price. But they play at, they had a big revenge game. They were an awful spot with some injuries when they played Arizona and lost by 50. I think they pick off Arizona next week at home. Um, and then it's like UCLA, USC, Utah at home, Cal at home, Stanford and then close out with the Oregon trip. That Arizona game is huge, like just for their stock and where they're going to go next week at home. But basically all that I'm doing here is I'm buying this team's just ceiling. Uh, they have three potential NBA guys. You have my guy Lampkin, 
they are, you know, they can shoot, but they also can offensive rebound. Like they don't, they don't need to have a great shooting day. Like now they can be zoned. Yeah. If you can keep them out of transition, things get the, so they need specific types of matchups to get to the final four, but you're getting 25 to one with three potential NBA guys. There's a ton of talent here. Uh, so I'm basically just buying the ceiling. It's a team. Check one high. Like you'll see them in the look incredible some games. And then some games you'll you'll not be impressed, but I think that they can continue to keep improving. Um, and I'm just buying the the upside here with all the talent. So those are the three options. Choice one is New Mexico to win the Mountain West. Choice two is South Carolina to go to the Final Four. Choice three is Colorado to go to the final four pause to evaluate i'm just going to check these mountain west standings i mean i can fill here real quick not to swing anybody's vote um i agree with the stock's assessment on colorado ceiling i should point out that the deepest run they've made was the sweet 16 in 1969 so it's been a, a solid 55 years since they made it to the second weekend's um but every 55 years colorado makes a run Everyone i mean that that's the the age-old you know sentiment so i yeah. i agree that's uh you ever, you ever been to boulder that's it ever it's like it says that on the bars every 55 years we make a run <laughs> all right um five four three two one. Oh, uh overruled i was overruled we have two votes for two south carolina to make the final four calabrese I basically, I'll, I'll tell you my reasoning. I wanted some New Mexico exposure, and I just felt like we are buying. I got, I'm, I'm becoming a believer in South Carolina, but we are buying like South Carolina at the, at the potential peak of their market. But maybe we're not. Um, but I, and I wanted. I've been saying I wanted a piece in New Mexico, and we, I didn't get one. Um, which is why I went there. But explain why you went with uh, South Carolina because you, you were ultimately deciding it. Two futures, Final Four. Why'd you go with South Carolina over Colorado? Besides, uh, it's been 55 years. Well, I think kind of the, the throwaway line you had about South Carolina in the tournament, winning those half-court grind-em-out kind of games, I'm just picturing it. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I love the coach. I think they're proving it through the grind of the SEC schedule. And on top of it, like there's a path forward, and South Carolina has done it themselves in the last 10 years, to make the Final Four with more of a defensive-centric team now they're gonna have to get lucky with some three-point variants to you know win those four games to get there but i think the number is just good enough in my mind and they control their destiny in that regard as opposed to my play with new mexico where i'm so bullish you know more so maybe than anyone else here on the show talking about the lobos but they still need things outside of their own control to happen they need both Boise and Utah State to stub their toe ahead of them, just have an opportunity to go ahead and and win the conference. So for that reason, I think I'm going to go ahead with the 25 to one. All right, good stuff. So we added South Carolina to make the final four. Well, that means Georgia's loot on Saturday for the with the Randall curse. So uh, everyone everyone going back Georgia on Saturday in the game that should be around the pick. And stuck uh, even that Miami game from Saturday got way too close. They were up oh the whole gosh. time. Oh my You're god. You're lucky Pitt Pitt shot early and then fouled. Oh, oh my god. Um, they were up like 10. I was like I was watching that game for you. I was like, Easily. all right, he's got it. Yeah. They're up 10 with like two to go. And then I'm watching these other games and I look back and I'm like, Pitt has the ball down two. 
And I, I thought they were going to hold for the last shot. And they took an awful shot with like four seconds left and then fouled. And luckily Miami hit both. Yeah, Miami made that way too close for comfort. All right, let's move on to the weekend. Uh, we'll talk some weekend spots. Anything's in play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll start one off and I'll throw it to uh, Calabrese to get his thoughts. Oh, because it's an A-10 and then you can get your one. I'm going to be looking at LaSalle potentially against St. Joe's at home. I mean, St. Joe's, I don't think has swept them in nine years. Um, this is a pretty heated rivalry. St. Joe's blew them out in the first matchup, but it's not a terrible matchup for LaSalle. St. Joe's also has Dayton on deck. I know this is a big five rivalry, but St. Joe's very compact defense. But LaSalle does nothing at the rim. They're jump shooters. Um, you got to hope that they make some threes here. There's some some stats that suggest some positive regression there. St. Joe's played a lot of teams that have had injuries, like uh, I think six or seven um, throughout the season. Like I remember that Duquesne, they played a really shorthanded Duquesne. But they had a bunch of other teams that they played with guards out. St. Joe's has won three or four since blowing out LaSalle, but three, all three came by combined five points this team that just they'll go up 20 they'll blow a 20 point lead they'll come back very Jekyll and Hyde but I don't think it's the worst matchup for LaSalle LaSalle also does a good job of taking away the three um I worry about the glass for LaSalle smaller team but um I think this is probably the bottom of the market on LaSalle and revenge spot big five game these teams usually split I'll be looking at LaSalle noon in Tom Gola Calvary's you agree there I do agree. I think that's a good spot. I, I watched the all the George Mason game earlier this week, and they had a great game plan for Reynolds. I think if LaSalle can just do a carbon copy of that and really keep him off his spot and, you know, less of those catch and shoot opportunities when he had to put it on the floor, he almost lost them the game, essentially going baseline, stepping out of bounds. They had multiple turnovers in the last 90 seconds of the game, and they, you know, blew what would have been maybe a comfortable six to seven point win and it turns into a two point win. And so I agree. I think St. Joe's is right on the cusp of being a team that can maybe be on the bubble or a team that could finish ninth in the A-10. I think that's how high variance they are. So you may as well go ahead and cash in on some value on a team that is Jekyll and Hyde, as you put it. Yeah. Super high variance team, which is why I, I would, I prefer them as a dog, not a favorite. Um, all right. Calvary, what do you got? All right. We mentioned the, the Houston game. So I'm going to pass, go past that. I'm going to go to the America East Binghamton traveling to Vermont's projections here in like the 13 to 15 point range for the Catamounts. The Catamounts are really taking flight after a slow start to the season. They've won six straight three in a row on the road. They covered their last four easily and they don't take their foot off the gas in general because of, you know, the way that they play, but also in terms of the scheduling and the standings in the America East, they can't because UMass Lowell and Bryant are just one game back in, in the race for the conference title, at least in the regular season. And then when you look historically, this is a game that I just auto bet every year because they beat the breaks off Binghamton time and time again. Last season, they played him three times, beat him by 25, 11 and 22 year before that 31, 17 and 32 Binghamton hasn't beat them since 2015 and they've lost the last 10 by 24 points per game. And this is, you know, knowing that I did my full due diligence at the action network, we have an America East expert, Tanner McGrath, who is arguably the greatest handicapper to ever come out of McGill university up North. He got on the phone and sent a text to head coach, John Becker, who we did an interview with during the off season and asked him, has there been a differential in terms of your preparation? Now that the America East went from a Wednesday, Saturday conference schedule to Thursday, Saturday. And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, there is, I'm playing more guys. 
And I think it's made the difference. Nine Catamounts play 14 minutes or more per game. That depth has meant a lot to them in those second games of the week. And because of that, I think they're going to run away in the second half from the Bears. I'd lay up to 16 in this game. Shout out Tanner. And yeah, Becker, amazing coach. What do you got, Randall? Yeah, I haven't bought Iona all year. They were second in the MAC preseason poll, and I just thought that was very overrated. Now, look, Iona can have these incredible three-point shooting games where they're absolutely lights out, but they still are not a good team on interior defense, and they are not good from the free throw line, 65.8%. I think Fairfield's better. I've watched Fairfield. They're very solid, playing well, balanced, had a tough loss at home to Quinnipiac, so they're going to be chomping at the bit here. They do make their free throws. They force turnovers. Chris Casey's done a real nice job with the Stags. Don't like Iona. The only thing I'm worried about, guys, if Iona goes crazy from three-point range, but you know there's a lot of variance in that. As long as Iona doesn't go nuts, I think Fairfield wins this game outright here. It is on Friday night. Line should be about three or four. I would take the points there, no problem. I like Fairfield on the road against Iona. All right, get some Mac action in. Uh, let's. How about our Johnnies at noon on Saturday? This Connecticut team is scary when fully healthy, but I don't think they'll be. I don't think Caravan's going to play. We'll see. I mean, his ankle was swollen up. Uh, they put him back out there. They said he was 70% in the second half. X-ray's coming. But, like, it's a, a bad ankle injury. It's going to be worse the next day. So I doubt they play him or he's not going to be at 100%. Defense drops off a lot when he's not out there. If you look at some of the metrics just on a uh, a box score, some of the advanced metrics and box score efficiency you probably got to get, I mean, you can go smaller. Like I'm trying to think what they would do without Caravan. I mean, you, you could put Samson Johnson in there. Then your offenses, your, your spacing gets messed up. Um, so you can go smaller, I guess. You could put like Castle at the four and Spencer at the three, like three more Diara. The rotations are going to be messed up. Their defense and either their defensive ceiling is going to be lower or their offensive ceiling without Caravan is playing extremely well. Uh, you got Jalen Stewart as like a replacement level defender. Uh, he might even have to play more at the four. So I don't think that UConn will be fully healthy. St. John's off of a bad loss at Xavier. They caught, it was just a bad spot for St. John. Xavier just got embarrassed by UConn. I think St. John's is maybe peeking ahead. But this UConn team, how do you beat them? I mean, look, St. John's went, Klingon didn't play in the first matchup, which is huge because you basically just can't get anything in the post against them, which is going to make life difficult on Soriano here. But you have to disrupt all their motion. You have to disrupt all their screening action in the half court because it's amazing. I mean, it's dizzying to watch. St. John's can do that with their matchup zone and their pressure. Like the two weakest areas for Connecticut for me is you could turn them over a bit at times, their guards, and you can get on the offensive glass because they're very aggressive defensively. So I think those are two paths for St. John's. They can you look at St. John's with you know cutting action screening action defense teams just don't really get to run that against them because of how their defense is structured so i think st john's can actually disrupt what uconn wants to do they can get on the offensive glass you got to hope that they make some threes it's not a great st john's shooting team but uh you know this connecticut team does do a tremendous job of taking away the three but you're at home juice spot catching probably three four um i'll be looking to st john's here i think with that, especially if Caravan can't go, the defense for St. John's, I think, can have success here. I think it's a, a good spot here against UConn. Uh, Randall, let me throw it to you for your second. Do you, Eddie, do you have faith in the Johnnies here in the spot? Oh, I do. Yeah, really frustrated. He stuck. They had that Xavier game. You can't let Quincy Oliveri be wide open for two consecutive three-pointers with two minutes left. That's what killed them. Yeah, I do have faith. I love the St. John's team. I'm going on Saturday. 
Indiana State always has trouble with Drake. I just think now's the time. This is a payback spot here. Uh, Drake beat Indiana State at home, 89-78, back on Wednesday, January 10th. This Indiana State team, team can really separate. The Sycamores can have a two-game lead in the Missouri Valley if they get this. They're just so superior in offense. They're great on the boards, and I've been looking to fade Drake. Also, Indiana State this year, 7-1 and one at home against the spread. I just think it's their time. I think Drake has been the, the, the power team in this conference for a long time. Indiana State, their offense is superior. They've played some tough games. They have a payback spot. Now they're home. They got the win over Belmont. It was a close one, but they covered it. They beat Bradley at home, 95-86 in overtime. I'm going to take them, and whatever the number is, five, whatever it ends being, I'm going to lay it. I think Indiana State finally gets over the hump here where Drake and takes control in the Missouri Valley. Tyrese? I'm going to go Auburn laying five against Old Miss on the road. We finally had a Denver Jones sighting who played well in Auburn's last game. He goes for 19. Baker Mazzara off the bench gives him 11. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking for them to move mountains in terms of their backcourt. Just give me some consistent scoring. I needed to see it at least once to buy into the potential of them doing it against a team with a pulse. Old Miss certainly has a pulse, but they have liabilities. They're not that strong on the glass. And when they don't knock down threes, they can be in trouble. When they played Auburn in a 23-point loss on the road, they shot four for 17. Auburn is 18th nationally in defending the three, third in opponent shooting percentage allowed overall. So I think the Tiger defense can really kind of squeeze the life out of this Rebel team. And then in addition to that 23-point loss, they also lost by 26 to Tennessee. So I think when they've stepped up significantly in terms of competition, they've been exposed a little bit. I wouldn't go as far as to call Ole Miss frauds, but at this point, I think their overall win-loss record is not commensurate with the quality that they're putting on the court. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Tigers. I'd lay up to five. I'm going to – people are going to hate me for this, but I'm probably going to fade Northwestern uh, against Minnesota at home. I think Payne will be back. They've had a week off here. Week to rest up, prepare for this game. Northwestern just in a, another overtime battle. I mean, everyone again played 40 minutes. I Northwestern is a good team with good guards. Boo Booey is amazing. Uh, they're not going to shoot 45% from three in league play all year in the Big Ten. I'm sorry. Um, and they can't defend. They don't defend anyone. It's the worst rated defense in the league. They foul too much. If you just hold on to the ball, you're going to score. Minnesota should dominate the offensive glass here. They should live at the line. Minnesota shooting 28% from three in league play. Northwestern, 44. You want to talk about shooting regression? Uh, they're shooting – Northwestern shooting 1.3 – they're scoring 1.3 points per possession on guarded jump shots. Like, that is not going to last forever. So, uh, I think this is a great spot. Northwestern gave their all. Team not – with a, not a lot of depth. Their legs are also going to give out, too. Like they, uh, so – yeah, I think it's a good spot to back North Minnesota at home. Brando, what else you got? Last one I got here. I hit it last week. I'll stay with it. Cornell against Harvard. It's pronounced Colonel. It's the highest rank in the military. It's pronounced Cornell. It's the highest rank in the Ivy League. Cornell plays back-to-back. -back. They destroyed Princeton at home last week. Great win. They have Dartmouth on Friday. So that should be no problem. And then they have a battle against Harvard who swept them last year. Harvard is not the same team. They've lost three or four. They got crushed at home by Yale. They have an upstart Columbia team that's actually playing very well. They play fast. They have guards. They can shoot it. So that's going to be a tough battle at home against Columbia. 24 hours later, here comes Cornell, who I think is the best team in the Ivy. Elite inside the arc, fast pace. I think they're going to take care of business Harvard. Let's go two for two in the Ivy with Cornell at Harvard on Saturday. 
Let me go. I'll go rapid fire here with a bunch of other spots I'd circled. Uh, Texas potentially at TCU. Texas, really good limiting teams in transition and defending at the rim. You can get to the rim against them, but that's key against TCU. So I think this is probably the peak of the market on TCU. I'll be looking at the Longhorns on the road if I can get a good number. Morgan State, let's go with some MIAC. They're finally healthy. Winston Tabs is healthy. Uh, they had some injuries earlier in the season. They're at South Carolina State. This game will be funny to watch. There'll be a ton of free throws. South Carolina State can't shoot them. Bad favor. Morgan State, I think, will have value there. Do we fade Boise after that big win? They come home against Air Force. I, Boise's not a team I love as a favorite. This game will be a grinder against Air Force at home. Probably get an inflated price in a bad spot. Boise State, I think, has what Colorado State on deck too. Air Force can shoot. He'll make enough threes here. Do I, I think at least stay within the number? Maryland against Michigan State. Maryland's playing better lately. I think if we get a good number here, Maryland's defense is playing really well. It'll be hard for Michigan State to extend. I think Maryland could stay within the number. They should have. They could have easily beat Michigan State in the first meeting. Game went right down to the wire. Been looking to fade Charlotte, but man, I I trust their de- their defense is good and they they press a lot. They have good rim protection on the back end, but in East Carolina, I was maybe looking to buy here, but East East, East Carolina's press numbers are hard. So whenever you want to fade Charlotte, look at how the other teams performed against the press, or if they have guards who can handle the ball. Question here for you, Stuck: Can the Gales go into Spokane, beat the Zags, essentially knock them out of the at large you know conversation at the kennel? Can they finally get it done? Because They've clearly been a better team. They flipped a switch. St. Mary's has, you know, since I guess, you know, mid-December, they've just looked like a different program. Do you think they get it done? I think they can. Yeah. I think it'll go right down to the wire. I'll be looking the back of the dog. Gonzaga's playing better lately, but I think St. Mary's has figured it out. They're, they're rolling of late. Um, two more, maybe Texas A&M at home against Florida. Get them at a cheap price. Texas A&M is eventually going to make some shots. They'll keep Florida off the offensive glass. Georgia State against Troy. Troy's, I th- surprisingly, I think seven and one in league play, but they played a super easy schedule. They're one and seven on the road. Their only win on the road is against Coastal Carolina. Georgia State matches up well. They don't turn it over. Troy presses. They're, Georgia State's press numbers are good. They're good on the defensive glass. That's huge against Troy. And they defend the three and they hit their three throws. You're going to get to the line a ton against Troy. Good matchup for Georgia State. I'm hoping Georgia State doesn't beat App State tonight to suck some of that value out. I think it's tied at a half. And then one final one Utah Valley. Assuming Grand Canyon today gets the revenge against Seattle, tough. Tra- it's always tough to play Utah Valley. I think they're like twelve and three against the spread in league play on these quick turnaround games. Grand Canyon at the end, they had one, one of the biggest beats of the year. Is Grand Canyon had a dunk at this kid had the ball. They were laying twelve, I think twelve and a half to Utah Valley at home earlier this season. The kid for Grand Canyon had the ball. It was sitting under the basket and looked at his teammate. It was just an outlet pass. And then he's like, what should I do? And then he just decides that he just dunks it and hangs on the rim as time expires. They actually covered because of it. And then there was like a scuffle at midcourt. So, but Utah, Utah Valley has been very good in the spot. It's a, this will be a tough travel spot for Grand Canyon. And if they get the revenge over Seattle, if you look at Grand Canyon's games, they're good, but they are in board spots. They are down by like 15 in all these games in the first half. So I, yeah, I think Utah Valley. Utah Valley's offense should be better than it is. I don't think. Like, I mean, I look at some of their their defense is very good. They will turn you over, which is how you can beat Grand Canyon. I think Grand Canyon like a thirty percent turnover rate in the first meeting. But Utah Valley, they're shooting twenty five percent from three. I, like, I, let me look at this. Who was I looking at? Drake Allen is. Uh, 
Last year, he was 37% three-point shooter. He's four of 34 this year. Uh, they, they cannot make a shot. So it's, it's a it's a horrific offense to watch. But they're, I think, like, I just look at some of the profiles of their players, and I'm like, 37% three-point shooters don't just shoot 11% for a year. So there's, there's like, they have a couple of those guys, but um, potentially a good spot there. All right, I'll stop rambling. Have a piece up on actionnetwork.com, Action Network app with some other spots. And as I mentioned earlier, we will have uh, our live show 1030 AM Eastern on X and on the app, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks as always to Mike and Mike for joining me. Thanks to our producer, David on the back end. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Did some giveaways last week. Make sure you leave a five-star review if you can, if you haven't already, and we will do some giveaways in a couple weeks from now. Say whatever you want. Make sure you subscribe and subscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck on all of your wagers this weekend. We'll see you Saturday morning for the live show. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.